around the world, here, locally, and all around the world, God is using you all, the people of this church, to make a difference around our world. And so we want to say thank you for that this morning. You can give this morning the same way we always do through the offering boxes, through the app, through the number that you see on the screen. But every time you give, you're partnering with us in ministering to people all around the world. And so we want to thank you for your faithfulness in that this morning. We also want to take just a moment to read from God's Word. We're going to read our scripture for today as we continue in worship. And our, our scripture today comes from Luke 17, verse 11 through 19. It says this, it says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered him, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray, church. Father, we thank you for this morning that we've had to stand in your presence, to come and to worship you, to give you all the thanks and all the glory and all of the honor, to be reminded that you are a faithful God, that you never change. The same God who has been moving throughout all of history is still moving today and will continue to do so. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is here, that you are with us, God. And that you have a word for us today, Lord. So come and move in mighty ways. We've seen you move. We believe you'll do it again, Lord. We praise you. We give you all the glory, all the honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said together. Amen. Church, you all can be seated. Amen. Well, good morning. I, too, want to say thank you to all the teachers, church, uh, school administrators, those who teach in the schools and the churches, thank you so much for what you do, your faithfulness. Uh, it makes a lasting impact, and for that, uh, thank you so, so very much. also want to say thank you for all of you who were able to come out this past Wednesday for the 130th celebration, as Jared has referenced already. It's amazing to see what God has done and what He is doing. Um, as you go throughout your week, please be in prayer, uh, be, and also uh, go vote. Uh, that is happening this week, and be in prayer uh, for all of that. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, Jared wanted me to tell a joke last week. Neil wanted me to tell this one to you this week, and so uh, we'll, we'll start here. Uh, Miss Caroline was teaching uh, Sunday school for second graders, and she told her class to draw a picture of their favorite Bible story. And one little boy, little Johnny, he drew an airplane with four people in it. And Miss Caroline came by and she said, well, little Johnny, uh, what Bible story involves that airplane? And he said, well, it's, it's simple. This, these, this is Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus in their flight to Egypt. <laughs> she said, well, who's the fourth person? He said, Miss Caroline, you should know this. That's Pontius the pilot. <laughs> Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Neil, for that. Yeah. That has absolutely nothing to do with my message, just so you know. Just so you know. 
There is a question that we've all asked, though, and it has nothing to do with planes or Egypt, probably. But the question that we've all asked at one point or another is, what, what is what's the sign of salvation? Or what are the signs of salvation? How do, how do I see it in myself? How do I see salvation in other people? How do I know? We've all asked some form or version of that particular question. What Luke tells us in the text that Jared just read for us today, he gives us a particular aspect of both the result of and the proof of salvation in our lives. So if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 11, I mean Luke 17, verse 11, Luke 17, verse 11. We're going to walk through this text. I want to do three things. I want to walk through the text. I want to ask two questions. I want to ask, what does the one leper experience that the other nine do not? We know that one was healed and returned to Jesus. What does that one leper experience that the other nine do not? And then the second question is, what does this mean for us? In verse 11, uh, this story begins. And there's this, fa- uh, there's this important line there in, that we see that we've been looking at as we've gone through this study throughout the Gospel of Luke. And the text opens and it says, On the way to Jerusalem, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And so once again, we see Luke pointing out the fact, he's already done this in Luke 9.51, he's done this in Luke 13.22, he's pointing out the fact that Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem, he's on his journey to the cross, and this time Jesus, it says, is passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, what you need to know about this story is that this story is unique to Luke when it comes to the four Gospels. But Luke thought it was important for this story to be in there, and I think there's some particular reasons why. Uh, But he wanted this story in there so that when people read his account of Jesus' life and ministry and his death, burial, resurrection, he wanted to make sure people heard this particular story. And the context that we see here, the setting where Jesus is walking, and he goes into this, uh, he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee, we see that he is on the border between these two, and that matters. Because on the border between Samaria and Galilee and on the border between other regions at this time period in the world, there would be quarantined villages. Now, whenever I say the word quarantine, we would probably not have a grid for understanding what that means if it hadn't been for the last few years, right? But in the first century, this was a very common thing. And you go back to Leviticus chapter 13, and you see, as it dealt with leprosy in particular, there were certain rules and regulations that the people would have to follow, and they would have to quarantine themselves, right? And you have to remember, the whole idea of quarantine would be foreign to us, again, if it hadn't been for the past few years. But what we discovered over the past few years is that there are times in which quarantining is actually helpful. And what we have to remember is that this culture, they're living in a day where they do not have our medicine. And so leprosy was a, was a big problem. And, and leprosy is a big word that would catch all kinds or all forms of skin diseases. And many times it really was leprosy. But to prevent the spread of it, once you were diagnosed, you immediately had to go. And you would go to one of these quarantine villages and normally it'd be on a border town. And so what we see here in the text is in verse 12, he says, and he entered a village. And notice that the village is not named. And the, the village probably didn't have a name. They just knew that it was the place that where if you were, uh, had to quarantine because of some uh, form of leprosy or some skin issue, you were quarantined, you just went to that place. 
And so many times they didn't even have names. They were not named like towns and places like that. But it says, as he went, enter the village. Notice Jesus is walking in this place. As he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So I want you to see the picture. Uh, so there's this village, probably a quarantine village, in between Samaria and Galilee. Jesus doesn't go around it. He walks into it. He walks close enough to where people can talk to him. And as he goes by, there are ten lepers. They cry out to him, and they say something very interesting. They say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, of course, they would have had to stand at a distance. The law required this. So think Leviticus 13, 54 through 56, somewhere in there, or 45 through 46, Numbers 5, we would see the same thing. And they call out and they use this term, master, master. Now, Jesus' disciples throughout the Gospels will call him master. But normally when it's a non-believer addressing Jesus, they don't use the word master, they use the word rabbi or teacher, Right? But these ten lepers, they knew enough about Jesus that they recognized him, they knew his name, they called him by a title of authority, and they asked him for something. And they asked him for this thing called mercy. Now the text does not tell us uh, explicitly what type of mercy they are asking for. Many times in the first century when people had leprosy, they would ask for mercy. What they were asking for were alms, for someone to give them money to help them survive. But the fact that they use the term master, I think what Luke is telling us is that they're asking for something more than money. They're asking for something more than a handout at this point. I think they're asking for healing. When they cry out, they recognize Jesus, they know enough about Jesus and heard enough about him and his ministry, I think they're asking for a legitimate healing at this point. So notice what happens. Verse 14 says, when he, Jesus, saw them, he said to them, go, show yourself to the priest. And then the text just says, and as they went, they were cleansed. Now notice that. When they cry out for mercy. Jesus' response to them is not to walk over and pray for them. He, he, he says, I want you to go show yourself to the priest. Now, if you had leprosy in the first century and you were in quarantine, every seven days you would go back to the priest and he would assess you again and diagnose you whether it's clearing up or whether it's not. And if it's not, you had to go back to the quarantine. So when Jesus gives this command, go show yourselves to the priest, what it means is they're not there that day. So it's probably not their seventh day when they're supposed to go do this. So Jesus is probably sending them early. But whenever they hear him say, go show yourself to the priest, notice that they go. It's probably not their day to go. It's probably not their time to go, but they go anyway. And they go and show themselves, on their way to showing themselves to the priest, the text says, as they went, they were healed. As they took that step of obedience, Jesus said go. So they step out and, and they head toward the priest. And as they head toward the priest, they are healed. They were, they were cleansed as they went, it says. And right there we see ten miracles take place. Just like that. They say, Jesus, have mercy, Master, have mercy on us. He says, go show yourself to the priest. They're probably thinking it's not our day, but we'll go anyway. He told us to go. They step out. They head in that direction. Ten miracles, just like that. But then the text says in verse 15, but one of them, just one, 
But one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And then he did four things. He turned back praising God, and he praised God with a loud voice, verse 16, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, and he gave him thanks. And then the text says, now he was a Samaritan. He points out the fact that this one was a Samaritan because the implication is the nine others were not. They were Jewish. And so we see that one of them returned. He's walking along with the others. Jesus told us to go even though it's not our day. Jesus told us to go, so we're going. He realizes that he's healed, and he immediately turns back, it says. He turns back and he goes back to Jesus. The four things, he he is praising God. It seems like an appropriate response when you believe that God has done something in your life, right? He's praising God, but not only is he praising God, he's praising God with a loud voice, meaning that as he's shouting this out, other people can hear him. So he's praising God, he's praising God with a loud voice, and then verse 16 says, he threw himself at Jesus' feet, meaning he, he runs up to Jesus, he's praising God, he's screaming out loud, and then he falls, he throws himself at Jesus' feet, and everyone who's around can see this. Everyone can watch it, and he doesn't care. And then the text says he gives him thanks. In other places in the New Testament, when when Jesus does something, it says that people give thanks to God for what Jesus did. But here, Jesus is the direct recipient of the thanks from the man. Not just the Father, but he's thanking Jesus for what he has done. And what that means is he sees Jesus as God. And then in verse 17... It says, then Jesus answered, and he asked three rhetorical questions. He says, were not ten cleansed? He knows the answer to that. And then he says, where are the nine? He knows the answer to that. They're on their way to see the priest. And then he says, was no one found to return and give praise to God? He's claiming to be God. Give praise to God except this foreigner. He identifies the fact that the man who had returned is not Jewish. He's a Samaritan. Verse 19, and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus asked these three rhetorical questions. He identifies the man as non-Jewish, as a foreigner. And in so doing, what Luke is telling us is that this experience that this foreigner had, we can have as well. That it's available for everybody. And then once again, we see Luke 13, 30 come to pass, where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And Luke is reinforcing that in this moment with this one foreigner who has returned to give thanks to Jesus while all ten were healed. And he says to him, your faith, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And the faith that he is referring to is his faith in God, but also faith in who Jesus is as God's authentic representative and as the Messiah. And that's the story. Two questions. First question, What does this one leper who returned, what did he experience that the other nine did not? What did he experience that the other nine did not? To understand that, we have to understand something about all ten of the lepers. All ten of the lepers who were healed on this day, all ten were at the lowest point in their life. Have you ever been there? All ten were at the lowest point in their life. And what that means, it was four things. When you're diagnosed with leprosy, it meant four things. Number one, it meant that you were unclean, meaning you were ceremonially unclean, which meant you could not worship. Notice I didn't say you could not go to worship. I said you could not worship. 
You were considered to be a person unclean, therefore worship, which is always a community thing. We talk about it in individualistic terms, and there's a place for that, and life is worship. I get it. But worship happens in an assembly, in a gathering, and you could not go, which means you could not worship because you were unclean. The second thing that it meant was that you were polluted, meaning your body. Your body was tainted because it had this disease in it, and everybody knew it. So not only were you unclean, your body was polluted. And because you were unclean and your body was polluted, number three, you were an outcast. You were literally cast out. As soon as you were diagnosed with leprosy, you, you could not go see your family. You could not go say bye to them. You had to get away from them. You had to immediately go to the, vi- the quarantine village. You had to leave your city, leave your community, leave your family, leave everything that's familiar. You had to get away because you did not want to give it to anybody else. So they are unclean, they're polluted, they're outcast. And not only that, number four, They are considered to be the dead among the living. That's how people looked at them. They were the dead among the living because the inevitable, if they really had leprosy, the inevitable was that they were going to die. That's why many of the lepers in the first century would wear black robes because it was a sign of their mortality and they knew what was coming. So as soon as you were diagnosed with leprosy, all four of those things went into play. Not only about how people saw you, but how you began to see yourself. But one returned. One came back. One came back. You see, whenever we look at the story, we look at it, and we say there were ten lepers. Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priest. As they go, all ten are healed. It's true. But there were not just ten miracles that happened this day. There were actually 11. 11 miracles with 10 people. When Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest, and in that act of obedience, it's not my day, Jesus. I'm supposed to go every seven days, but because you said go, I'll go. And they went. All 10 of them are healed, but one came back. And the one who came back experienced two miracles, not just one. You say, how do you know? Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Those three words, made you well, literally means saved you. Saved you. You see, for Luke, in Luke's gospel, true faith is always connected to something very specific. We say, what is the sign that salvation is in me? For Luke, when Luke is writing his gospel, true faith is always connected to glorifying God. And what is this one leper's immediate response after he realizes he's healed? He goes, praising God, loud voice. He falls at Jesus' feet and he thanks him. And that's Luke's way of telling us. In that moment, he experienced two miracles. Not only was his skin cleansed, but his heart was cleansed as well. Both happened. And the leper glorified God in his healing For his healing, but in his salvation. Both were taking place in this moment. Think about his four responses. He's praising God. Praising God is a passionate response to the recognition of a deep move of God in you. You see, one of the first forms of praise that happens in our lives is that we praise God for what he's done in our life. We recognize that he's done something in our life and we go, wow, look what God did. Thank you, God. A mature form of praise in our life is when we praise God for who he is. Not just for what he does, but simply for who he is. But this man has realized something has happened. God has moved in my life in a deep way. Again, not just on the surface level, not just my skin, but in my heart. And the response is this passionate response of recognition that God has moved. Then he does it with a loud voice. 
Notice that. There's this raw emotional release in him. He's not just praising God quietly to himself. He cannot contain it. It just erupts out of him. And then he throws himself at Jesus' feet in this humble adoration and recognition of who Jesus is. You don't just go around you know, throwing yourself at people's feet, do you? Right? I don't. I don't just walk around and you know, just bow down to people. All of a sudden, he does in this moment. Because he sees who Jesus is, and again, he sees that Jesus has done something, not just on the surface, not just on the skin level, but on the heart level. And then he thanks him. You see, saved people are thankful people. Saved people are thankful, grateful people. And I'm not just talking about being optimistic. When you are saved, when you have this relationship with God, you realize this deep gift that he has given you. You realize what you have received and the depths to which you don't deserve it. And that's what makes us thankful. Last question, what does this mean for us? Do you see what Luke is telling us here? Do you see who he's trying to get us to identify with? See, Luke wants us to realize that we are the lepers. You're the leper. I'm the leper. You see, we are the ones who are unclean. We are the ones that should be wearing black and mourning because our death is inevitable. And we're even the living among the dead. We're just spiritually dead. We are the ones that have been polluted and tainted by the disease of sin. We are the ones who are outcast. We are the ones that have been cast out of heaven, and we are the ones that are alone and in isolation. But notice one returned. One returned. And in returning, he experiences two miracles. And what Luke is wanting us to ask ourselves is, have we experienced both? That's the question. Have we experienced both miracles? You see, every one of us have experienced a miracle of God in one way or another. The fact that you're breathing right now is a miracle of God, by the way. But there are all, all of us have experienced things in our life that have happened around us or in our family. We've all experienced things that we cannot explain. We don't know how that car missed us. We don't know how this or that. There, and yes, we've experienced tragedy, by the way, and some more than others. Absolutely. But we've also all experienced miracles. There have been things that have happened in our life that we cannot explain. Yes. But what Luke wants us to ask is not only have you experienced a miracle around you, outside of you, but have you experienced the miracle within you? Have you experienced the miracle of the deep work of salvation within you that produces this unbridled thankfulness and joy in your life? That's what he wants us to ask. Remember the questions I started with? What, are the, what was the sign of salvation? What are the signs of salvation in me and other people? Those type questions. What Luke is telling us is that thankfulness is one of the overlooked fruits of salvation in our life. Genuine thankfulness. It's something that Luke emphasizes over and over again in his gospel. And the reason why is the truly saved tend to live with this thankfulness and joy right underneath the surface if it's not already bursting forth. People who are truly saved live with this joy, this gratitude, this thankfulness that just, it's always right, it's just bubbling right under the surface. And then any reason that we have that's truly a heavenly reason to celebrate something, it just comes out of us. 
He says, that's what it looks like. And we live that way. We live with this thankfulness and this gratitude and this joy because, and here's the thing, please look at me. When you realize just how much you have been forgiven, see, when you've been truly forgiven and you realize just how much you've been forgiven, you realize that you've been forgiven for all those thoughts that you pray to God nobody ever finds out about. You've been forgiven for all those actions, all those things, all those bad motives and intentions. All of, you've been forgiven for all of it. When you've truly been forgiven for all of that and you realize just how much God has forgiven you, that produces a thankfulness and joy in you, a gratitude in you that no, that no one can stifle. That situations and circumstances in life cannot hold back. When you keep in the forefront of your mind just how much God has done in your life. And when you see it, but listen, when you lose sight of it, when you lose sight of the fact, especially if you're a religious person, you lose sight of the fact just how much God has forgiven you, all it does is make you self-righteous. You just think, look what I've done, look how good I am. And you forget just how much He has actually forgiven you when you lose sight. And so many times we can lose sight. And you may say, well, how do I know? How do I know this is, I've experienced salvation, there's true thankfulness and joy in me? How do I know that? Well, just ask the question, what resides just underneath the surface in your heart, in your life? What resides just underneath the surface of your interactions with other people? What resides just underneath the surface of your temperament? I don't care what your personality is. What resides there? Is it joy? Is there's an undercurrent of thankfulness and gratitude that's there because you know how much you've been forgiven and you know what God has done for you. You know that God has not just done stuff around you or on the surface level, but he's done the deep heart work. Or are you a walking volcano that you just erupt on people all the time? The, the undercurrent is negative. The undercurrent is tainted and polluted. See, because if that's the case, what Luke is saying is that, that you may have experienced the skin miracle, but you didn't experience the heart miracle. You didn't experience the heart miracle. You see, the problem with leprosy is that leprosy can come back. We pray for miracles all the time, don't we? Where we want life to change. And sometimes God does that. A miracle is a miracle by definition because it's rare, by the way. That's C.S. Lewis. But we pray for miracles all the time. The problem here, these ten were healed of leprosy, yes. But leprosy can come back. And by the way, in case you're wondering, none of these ten people who were healed on this day are still alive today. But the one leper who returned, he experienced a miracle that no one could ever take from him. And it wasn't the miracle of the skin being healed. It was the miracle of the heart being healed. And what Luke is wanting us to ask is, have you experienced both? Are you aware of the miracles that God does around you? And yes, God can do those. But have you experienced the heart miracle? The one that no one can take from you. The one that you will take into heaven with you. See, we're the lepers. That's us. But Jesus has this unique way of still hearing us 
when we say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And what Luke really wants us to ask ourselves is, have we said that? Have we said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us? Because that's when we receive the healing nobody and nothing can take from us. Amen? Father, would you help us? Would you help us ask for the deep miracle? Lord, would you help us ask for the miracle that can never be taken? And Lord, there are things on the surface that we're praying about and praying for today. And Lord, we do ask you to move. We ask for you to touch. We ask for you to heal. But Lord, I pray today that we would make sure that we've called out for your mercy for our heart before our life. And if we haven't, Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you help us in this moment say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me.